Hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome back to Cake Bites. Um, I'm really excited for this week's episode, but I feel like I say that every week. Um, and honestly, it's just because I'm excited about every episode. But this week, I have Simon Co. So Simon's worked on these relatively unknown franchises you've probably never heard of. Um, the first one is Guitar Hero. And the second is Call of Duty. And so he's here to talk about his time working as a concept artist and kind of how he got to working on games from art school. And then we talk about his uh, most recent foray into uh, virtual reality and kind of the differences between working for a AAA company and starting his own game development studio. So, uh, so honestly, uh, without further ado, here is Simon Cope. started back at Neversoft. Yes, so intro games. Yes. Um so I feel like my first question really is when I was looking at your portfolio, I noticed that most of your game titles really fall in the AAA category, really big franchises um that mm-hmm. that have sold a lot. Did you start working with AAA games or was that like a progression that you made or I mean how did that start? I think it would make sense to start at Art Center. Uh, Art Center College of Design School out there in Pasadena. They're known for, you know, having some pretty big name alumni. And because of that, they've really established kind of a, a pathway to some really big franchises, whether you're in product design, film, car design, or video games. There's a lot of uh, alumni that have kind of paved the way to give us access as the next generation coming up to kind of have that alumni network to tap into. So it's not like we, you know, as alumni really, you know, start just blasting on applications. We were like, oh, hey, our instructors is friends with, um, you know, George Lucas, right? Let's hit him up and see what he's doing. And <laughs> there is a story that I have, you know, about how my friends have gotten jobs. And this is a kind of an art center repeated, you know, story where so-and-so's walking down the hallway and your stuff just happens to be hanging on the wall. And they're like, who's that guy? And that's, that's it. And next thing you know, these guys are working in film, you know, for decades, having very fruitful careers. So a lot of the friends and classmates that we had, uh, even prior to me graduating, got picked up three quarters of the way through the curriculum and started working for Lucas doing, you know, at the time, I think they were, they were filming for a lot of the prequels. Mm -hmm. Hey, oh, you like doing cars? How about, you know, would you like to come up to San Francisco and do some spaceships? Oh my gosh. And we were kind of thrust, you know, into this AAA world. So amongst our classmates, it really kind of, that was almost a regular thing. And we were, we were comparing ourselves to that caliber of, of jobs in our future. I didn't quite have been that way, but I did get lucky with, you know, having a friend that had just gotten a job at uh, Neversoft during uh, the gun periods, right after Tony Hawk. And... Um, after my graduation, I took this really quick side class just to kind of really get my inspiration back. At that point, you know, as a car design student, there's a lot of these sponsored projects 
we deal with restrictions and design and you know pedestrian uh, you know levels of all this automotive architecture that you need to know in manufacturing to be a really successful car designer you can't just draw everything willy-nilly so you know i needed some some of that freedom back and i did a, a project that just included something that i wanted to do it was a rock and roll space adventure <laughs> uh, you know something totally unrelated to cars and i think for those three months during the summer i did three or four paintings of this guy that's traveling to special different planets met a guy that had to save the world using his guitar skills <laughs> and had this special guitar that like would shoot sound waves and destroy his enemies. Nothing really to it. <laughs> well, at that time, I think Neversoft had picked up the Guitar Hero franchise and I did, I think, I don't think I had any idea. So my friend, uh, Cameron gives me calls and says, Hey, I remember those like guitar paintings you did for that class. Uh, would you mind, you know, showing us some of that stuff at Neversoft? And I, got an interview and walked in and showed them some, some stuff amongst all this, all my portfolio at that point was a lot of industrial design. I had no idea where I wanted to go. Uh, you know, 2007, 2008 economy was tanking. Nobody even came to see the shows. So as a graduate that's looking to work at a company like BMW or Nissan or Toyota, it's like, these guys aren't even showing up to look. Um, I switched gears about maybe, you know, I feel like seven A's through the curriculum, which is kind of a risky move mm-hmm. uh, to switch to this newly entertainment track. They had just um, kind of a, did in a beta phase uh, there at Art Center. And I just I jumped in. I was like, this car thing is it's kind of a tough bet. 2008. Mm-hmm. And I was getting bored of it and wanted to design some robots. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just. Switch it up. So, so the path at that point was was still very unsure. So I said yes. I walked in uh, a couple days later, and one of the art directors was like, "Oh man, kind of hoping you'd work bringing that wig." <laughs> and I was like, "What are you talking about?" He's like, "Well, the wig on your face, or at that time, MySpace." So that's dating me back a little bit. And I totally forgotten that at that point, you know, I was such a huge fan of the game prior to even hearing about. Uh, Never soft. I think this was when Harmonix still owned it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was my profile image was me in, in a wig holding a Guitar <laughs> Hero guitar. You know, I just loved it so much. So they loved my three pieces of four pieces of work, and I think I started the next week. So, what did you do for Guitar Hero? Um, like, how many titles did you work on for them? Uh, I worked. I showed up right at the end of Guitar Hero Aerosmith, so I got to dabble in that mm-hmm. um, for about a couple of weeks, and then that immediately jumped onto Guitar Hero World Tour, which really was my, I would say, my first, you know, full experience uh, participating and contributing to that project. And then after that, it was just tide after tide of of Guitar Heroes, mm-hmm. you know, everything from. I don't know if you saw my my resume. There were so many afterwards. Guitar Hero Metallica, <laughs> uh, you know, Band Hero. There was Guitar Hero Five, Warriors of Rock, and we were cranking them out pretty quickly. Yeah. And a lot of my uh, contribution to that was environment design and a lot of the light shows. Oh. So if anyone has has played that before. A lot of you know the on screen visuals is the the track and the buttons coming down the screen and everything like the characters and, and environments and the light shows kind of show up behind that. Yeah. But you know, to that note, it was 
really my first job. I have no experience in lighting design. You know, I didn't work at the House of Blues or anything, <laughs> but that was now my job. And it was pretty interesting because I learned so much about the music industry, about music in general. And, you know, we had a lot of popular faces showing up at the studio unannounced. Wow. So it was a kind of cool experience for a, you know, a new grad. And by new, I was not that old. I mean, not that young. That way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so how long did you work for them for? And did, uh, did you, because I also know that you worked on a couple Call of Duty games. Um, right. Which is like, the, those were the titles that first caught my eye. But I, I played Guitar Hero. I was garbage at Guitar Hero, but I loved Guitar Hero. Um, <laughs> so I was, I, I wasn't sure how you managed to bridge that gap between those two games or those two companies. or Because I wasn't sure. It, it was Infinity War yeah. that you worked for for the Call of Duty games, right? Well, it's a really interesting story and a really interesting point you bring up because... You know, going back to prior working at Neversoft, my background was vehicle design. Mm -hmm. And in that practice, you know, I really honed in just hours and hours of sketching, uh, you know, form. So Neversoft, after uh, the Guitar Hero franchise kind of dwindled, um, you know, we kind of at that point had proven our abilities as as an Activision company to Activision. And act, the Call of Duty franchise at, at that point was, you know, kind of, it, it was in its peak. You know, it was yeah. after Modern Warfare 2, Modern Warfare 3. And they were like, hey, we have these other Activision studios that are working on Call of Duty. And I think they need some help. Uh, would you guys be interested in, in helping them out? And I didn't know anything about these conversations because I, we were still in development for Guitar Hero. And I remember one day my art director came up to me and said, hey, uh, you saw what you're doing. Uh, we're wondering if you could draw a, a uh, draw a helicopter. I was like, oh, yeah, this is kind of a weird question, but sure. Yeah, so I banged out the baddest-ass helicopter I could think of in you know a couple minutes and did all the wings and really kind of made it as cool-looking as possible. He's like, oh, cool. Takes it away. Didn't hear anything. Didn't know what was going on. I was like, oh, this is kind of odd. Why are they asking you that? Well, sure enough, I think a couple weeks later, uh, the announcement was made and I made the cut. Uh, others weren't so lucky. Wow. You're trying out for a team didn't even know you're trying out for. <laughs> yeah. So it was some interesting times, you know, either a lot of people, you know, made the transition or, or they kind of got cut loose. And it was kind of really, really sad time, I think, for us. But great for Neversoft. You know, we had a lot to learn as a studio going from music games to now the, you know, the, the top arguably the top first person shooter in the world and learn it fast because mm-hmm. these fans are, you know, they're not messing around. They have some pretty high expectations from all the great work done by the infinity ward and Treyarch and these call of duties, major call of duty studios. Definitely. I, I, I've mentioned this before on my show, but I, I worked in a video game store while I was in college and I actually worked through um, both the launches <laughs> that you worked, those titles that you worked on. Um, but I really feel like Call of Duty is one of really the most pervasive titles in in really gaming. Like it's one of the titles that grandmas could remember <laughs> when they would come in. It was just one of those franchises that everybody played um, or everybody knew somebody who played or their kid played. So I can't even imagine what it felt like to kind of be thrust into that opportunity. So you you said that you had a, a background in vehicle um, design art. 
but did you have, I don't know how different aviation is to that or weapons, or if you had really any experience in weapons, but um, mm-hmm. was that another job where you were really were doing a lot of learning uh, on the new job? Absolutely. And one of the things that I was able to use for my education was whether it's a, a car or a gun or a spaceship, uh, these things are products that are designed for a client, have a specific purpose, need to have a specific process of manufacturing, and ultimately, you know, looks a certain way for a reason. So that translation was was pretty natural. And in fact, I think a lot of the alumni there that actually don't make it into the car industry, which is rather rare, I mean, it's rare to make it in. There's very, I mean, you think about it, how many car companies in the world and how many of those need a designer. You could have a, a company, you know, as large as Toyota have a half dozen designers. Wow. So the output, you know, the saturation is, is pretty easy to reach. So a lot of my colleagues and classmates, we went on to just doing, um, you know, sporting equipment. I mean, it's the design process that we've learned is just widely applicable. It is difficult because we were asked to do some things that were not only have to serve a real purpose, but have almost have to be not that real, but just fun and cool looking. So, you know, depending on the task at hand, it could be an, an example would be Call of Duty Infinite Warfare. There were a lot of things that we had to make that for a world that didn't exist yet. Right. It was the future. Um, and part of, yeah, it's the future, but everyone has a different idea of what the future is like. So we had to do a lot of thinking about you know, designing for a world that doesn't exist, you can't do that unless you design the world that it's supposed to live in. And, and if I'm remembering the marketing correctly, it was also, it wasn't like it was this dystopian, crazy high-tech future. It was, it was in the future, but it was realistic future. I don't know if you guys were working with like futurologists or anything like that. Maybe I'm making that up or I'm thinking of another game. Um, but mm-hmm. I was going to say like, how was working on a like realistic future sci-fi concept? Yeah. Infinite Warfare, there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons why a lot of uh, entertainment properties don't go down that road. Yeah. Uh, it's very difficult to do, and it costs a lot of money. And when I say money, I mean it costs a lot of time to think and develop these things that, you know, I think if we were to come out, this game were to come out 20 years ago, you know, we could kind of get away with a lot more. But the audiences nowadays are just so smart. Uh, we live in a, a now a 4K world, right? It used to be 1080. So people, like you can see everything that you make in high detail. And um, we were kind of acting as the futurists in a lot of ways. So everyone from the writers to the designers to the concept artists all had a hand in, you know, doing iterations of what we wanted this world to be like. And a lot of doing our research, we talked to a lot of, um, obviously, veterans, guys in the military, uh, commanders, and in learning about the Navy and all these branches of the military, you realize almost also how much it doesn't change. Wow. And where these things come from. Why is there a bell on an aircraft carrier? Like, why are we still using a bell? Uh, these old pieces from, you know, hundreds of years ago are still around for redundancy purposes and whatnot. So that really kind of helped us create some hard points and really kind of helped us out in terms of taking a load off of what we really needed to uh, design that was new. And so how long did you work for Infinity Ward for? And what did you do after? Yeah, so um, 
when Neversoft was working on its first Call of Duty, it was actually working in tandem with Infinity War. Oh, okay. And, and our offices are, you know, walking distance apart. So there was this really interesting period where we were walking to another building that was a quarter of a mile away to do meetings and then walking back and then walking there and then walking back. And I think eventually we realized or the studio realized that that was kind of killing a lot of time. <laughs> and so I think they made a decision to eventually just combine the studios. As an employee there, you don't hear a lot of things, but um, you can kind of see what's, what was going on. Eventually, I think Activision made, made the decision to kind of blend the two studios together. Yeah. Well, at that point, it's, what do you call it? Do you call it Infinity Ward Neversoft? Neversoft Infinity Ward? That is not going to work. So one of the names, unfortunately, had to go. And, you know, Infinity Ward being the flagship Call of Duty studio, I think, had kind of a, was on, stood on better grounds for, for that case. And unfortunately, that meant the studio we loved so much and grew up in had to kind of... I don't know what you want to call it, merge, dissolve, or... Yeah. Yeah. Um, we were working with Infinity War, yeah, for a couple of years. So w- when did we officially switch? Well, that's kind of had because it was slowly, it was a slow, it was a longer process uh, than probably most people uh, realize of blending the two companies. And I believe that was around 2014. Okay. So... That was when we were both working on, I think, Guitar Hero and, and uh, Call of Duty, and then slowly members of the of the team started to switch over. And before you know it, I think there was a really you know sad goodbye party, and and then we just kind of put our head downs and kept kept pushing. And after the Call of Duty games, did you continue working with them? I worked on Call all the way up until uh, a little bit after of Call of Duty okay. Infinite Warfare. So. It was a really interesting project. The public kind of had, you know, interesting mixed uh, feedback on it. But, you know, it is a business. I don't think sales were as awesome as they projected or as anybody wanted. And I think, you know, I, I was just part of the next round of layoffs, which is really a natural part of this industry. I mean, I honestly, amongst my colleagues and, and graduate friends, I think I probably had the longest run going on almost 10 years at Activision. So, but it is what it is. And I took, uh, that as a really good opportunity to take those, those lessons and really, you know, look forward to the next chapter, uh, which I'm hoping we'll talk about, you know, soon, <laughs> uh, which is virtual reality. Yeah, no, we can go straight into that because that's exactly where I was going because you are running your own VR company, correct? Running, <laughs> running. I don't know what you would call yeah. it. Yeah. Jason <laughs> moving. <laughs> It's like pushing. That's all of that. And it's really interesting because, you know, I come from an art and design background. What do I know about starting a company or a business or virtual reality for that matter? Yeah. But it's one of those things that uh, I realize is like, this is the perfect time to learn. Um, you know, and I love learning new things and I've definitely love the challenge of being an entrepreneur and, and iterating and improving on systems. And that's what really drives me. So you know, whether it's how do you create a business plan or how to create a PowerPoint, like, you know, I'm learning from square one. Mm-hmm. And so that's been a lot of my focus in the last couple months. Yeah. But um, so have y'all started working on any projects or um, do you have anything in the works currently? Yeah. So we have uh, a couple projects in the works right now. We have a really small team, limited 
uh, we got some resources, um, got a, you know, an angel investor for a first round sometime last year and are trying to build a prototype to hopefully, you know, attract more investors and also, uh, get some other talented team members here in Los Angeles on board. You know, it's kind of like the Notions 11 when he's trying to, <laughs> you know, find his all-star team. You know, I kind of feel like I'm in that mode right now, but it's, uh, you, you start to wear different hats and part of being a small team is being able to kind of like take, uh, the reins wherever that may be, whether it's, you know, finding candidates to interview, uh, creating 3d assets, you know, learning how to code mm-hmm. for a little bit. Did you ever so. really do any work with like 3d modeling? And, um, like I said earlier, I cannot speak for the nuance in creating art, um, but I can imagine that there's a pretty big jump between concept, b- between creating the concept and actually creating, uh, getting to the, the, the literally standing right. in your work, virtual reality, you know? Sure. So being a concept artist or illustrator, um, whether it's for film or video games, has evolved greatly over the last, you know, 15, 20 years. 20 years ago, if you knew how to operate a pencil, uh, a marker and pens, and you'd be working on some very big films. You, you know, going, going to school in the early 2000s, we were looking at reference books from the art of Star Wars uh-huh. and just seeing these, you know, Sid Mead and Joe Johnson, all these amazing pencil. And these guys were just drafting in, in, in pens and markers and gouache and paint. Well, this program called Photoshop comes along and now you have to learn this piece of software and operate it with a, a tablet. And now that became the norm. Yeah. Well, because of that, we were able to really bump up the quality and resolution of these concept pictures. We were, you know, photo bashing, kit bashing. We were taking photographs, chopping them out, and really creating some pretty realistic images in a short amount of time. Okay, so you fast forward another couple of years, and this 3D software comes out, and you can get realistic lighting. And I can, I can spin this thing that I'm thinking about around and animate it for, you know, intense communication. So now that became the norm. So the expectation of what you're able to produce as a concept artist and illustrator to communicate just spanned, you know, multiple pieces of software. And a lot of students now have the pressure of learning all these things because that is now the almost the industry standard. Wow. And, you know, being a guy who's kind of lived through one or two of those, it's super imperative to now always constantly be checking what are these new tools that are going to continue that evolution of being able to produce almost photorealistic images, which our art director or director expect or clients expect in the least amount of time. So that's always a ch- Now we have to know how to build a computer or operate a computer and debug and, you know, find ways to light. So everything is getting kind of, uh, kind of shifting definitely more towards the technical software for sure. And are you seeing, you're, you said you're seeing it happen pretty quickly, right? Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I don't know if you remember what year was Avatar uh, oh, yeah, like 10 the years mo- ago, the, the movie. movie. So the production of that was, you know, now operating, you know, being able to see through a screen in real time, your creations uh, that you would had mocked up to see what, what the actors look like inside them. And now that's becoming the, come, come in the norm. So being, having a 3d background is kind of essential now. Uh, being an illustrator or concept artist. Now, what's also happening is with this round of uh, new graduates and students is 
because they can make something look so real, the reality and and being able to have a high quality finish uh, on these concepts almost now is become more attractive than actually having good fundamental design. Wow. So you got to have a little bit of everything. It's, it's, you know, you have to be like a real savant Renaissance man, savant Renaissance <laughs> person, whatever you want to call it, because, you know, long story short, you are creating the vision of a project. You are giving this project life, whether it's a video game movie or, you know, short film. It's almost like, you know, it's almost magic, you know, in a lot of ways you're giving what was previously just words on, on a piece of paper or a conversation into, you know, another step towards living, breathing, light, character, feeling, mood. And when you're working with the client, sometimes they, they forget that part. They're like, no, we just, we just, are you, why are you charging so much for uh, you to make some pretty pictures? (laughs) Well, it's more than that. You know, it's, and sometimes they forget and they need to be reminded. But I think a lot of concept artists that are out there also have to remind themselves. It's like, no, I'm not just being paid to to be a wrist on and just, you know, almost be like a translator. You know, you're also adding something very significant that could mean millions of dollars for another project or sales. And depending on who you're talking to, you know, they like the sound of that. Mm-hmm. So I, I just realized I haven't even asked you what's your um, what's your virtual reality studios name. So our na- our company's name is Rainiac. That's V R A I N I A C, oh. kind of like Brainiac but with the V R. Oh. Um, that was definitely the brainchild of my partner, uh, and so I take no credit in that name. But um, I think it, I think it worked. It was appropriate and very unmistakable uh, V R company. Definitely. And and do you guys have, I'm not sure if y'all are working on anything now, um, but do you guys have some sort of direction that you are intending to take the company towards? Is there a particular like genre of games that you guys are looking at? I'm not really sure kind of what comes into setting up a studio, if that's something that you guys would be doing or you're just going to kind of hit whatever, you know, is your fancy at the time that you guys are starting production. Absolutely. Now is like, there's a great time to explore I think hardware is kind of on its last legs of almost being to that point where you can give this, you know, experience to anybody ranging from, you know, kids to senior citizens uh, to that are just, you know, highly impactful. Uh, but there were, we're a couple steps away from achieving that, which is great for us to learn our lessons now as a software developer. So our kind of main focus is to create our own IP at the moment. We have you know, one project we're working on, I, I can't talk about too much right now, but, you know, down here in, in LA, there's a lot of VR uh, companies doing all kinds of things. And we really wanted to take what we learned in AAA games and translate that. Obviously, it's not a direct translation because VR has its own, is its own different beast as well. And we're learning that. And we're looking forward to just be a really open to all kinds of software development for VR systems. I think we're kind of at a place where a lot of the bubbles kind of burst uh, in terms of the hype. There's a lot of hardware companies that are looking for new software. There's a lot of consumers that are looking for new software. And yeah. we want to be one of those people that those companies. Uh, so are y'all, um, are y'all working with a particular hardware? Or are you going to be developing kind of across the board? I know that there's like particular titles that are PlayStation VR exclusive or... 
So I, what do you guys have a plan yeah. for that? Yeah. So from a marketing standpoint uh, and sales standpoint, there's it, it it's tough all around right now. There's kinds of benefits and disadvantages to each one with the high end devices like Oculus and your vibe. It's, you know, not, a, not everybody has them. They're, they're pretty expensive, but of those people that do have them because they can provide a higher quality experience there, if there's good stuff on there, they'll, they'll pay good money for it. And we were learning that with some metrics and with the mobile devices. Well, everyone's got one in their pocket and, you know, if not now, a year or two from now, everyone will have a VR capable device literally in their pocket. So numbers wise, um, you're potentially reading a, a larger market. But because of that, now you're dealing with mm. also more saturated market. There's more guys from the mobile space moving into VR and and mobile. Uh, while large in quantity and numbers, the restrictions, and the obstacles are super tough because yeah. you have this little chip doing a lot of work. So from a game development standpoint, you know, there's a lot of optimization and, you know, as, as much as I can say as an, with a background of, a, of an artist, there's a lot of streamlining to be done. Uh, so we've learned that in the last couple months, but, you know, I'm just, as, as a guy starting and starting and something that he, he doesn't know, I'm just so looking forward to learning these things, learning what I know, don't know, and then learning what I don't know what I don't know. And you, I think that you once told me, you, you mentioned earlier that there's a lot going on in, in regards to VR in uh, LA. I think you re you referred to it as the Wild West is what Los Angeles is for VR. Can you talk a little <laughs> bit more what it's like right. kind of being in the thick of um, of a place where the industry is literally booming? Yeah, and I failed to, to realize, I call it the VR Wild West. Uh, some people <laughs> call it Silicon Beach over here, which uh, is kind of the the name that is taken up, but, you know, being in it, um, just Los Angeles has boatloads of talent and, you know, having these meetings with, you know, other investors and people, developers, it is just in the, in the atmosphere. If you walk down the street, you know, there's just people talking about it. We talk about it at bars. So I almost say it's become very ingrained in our culture because of, the work that's being done around here. And, you know, there, if LA is great at, great at anything in there, it's at, you know, setting trends and being at the forefront of all kinds of entertainment. So, but what does that word really mean? Virtual reality? What, what does that entail in terms of work uh, development and how we consume it? Nobody knows. So while everybody knows it's kind of in the air and it's these, these, these buzzwords and everybody wants to get involved those people, including myself, don't know exactly what that means and how that will play out. I mean, are there going to be virtual reality psychologists? Are there going to be virtual reality tour guides, like uh, virtual reality writers, musicians? Um, it's so new. We don't even know what it's going to be like. And I think the people that are just even dabbling at it at this now we will be the ones helping shape it, but where it's going to end up, I don't know if anyone can really say at this point, um, because things are moving so fast nowadays with not only the tools that are coming out, but um, things like AI or, or, or cryptocurrencies and blockchains are going to have a part to play in, in how we make and develop and also consume this new technology. So 
we're kind of in the same boat as everyone else. We just want to be a part of it and just start seeing what works and what doesn't work and hopefully be able to pay our, our rent. Every <laughs> and uh, are you guys going to be dabbling in anything like augmented reality or strictly virtual reality? Because there was virtual reality has definitely taken the forefront, but there was a little while there, you know, Microsoft showed off the uh, HoloLens, you know, so I, I just wasn't sure if you guys had thought at all about, uh, you know, other applications of, uh, you know, what you guys are doing. Yeah, I think m- most people in this space almost say say VR, AR, um, MR, and now there's XR in, as if it was one word. Um, every developer that's that's doing that kind of I think mean all of that. While they're while they're similar in in the sector, they're all kind of different as well. But I think the true um, experience will be to integrate. You know reality with with virtual reality which is ar and mr and xr and these things that really will permeate you know every aspect of our life you know going forward a couple decades so you know i i think we are we have we do have an ar game uh, also in the works and also working towards ar experiences um with you know other developers and obviously that entails a huge uh, hardware develop side Definitely. of it as well and do you have any experience with augmented reality yeah so my background is not mm-hmm. a programmer or or i don't have any technical technical you know expertise in any of this <laughs> where i kind of come into play um is just a person with a vision <laughs> and and that's that's about it. And there's definitely a lot of learning that we need to do. But you know, even being able to to direct uh, a project like this from either an art standpoint or an experience standpoint is something that I've, I've been just a, a, a fan of. You know, all these years, even as a kid growing up, you know, when you wanted to do art, you, I was told, okay, so, so you know, is it am I going to be an architect or a graphic designer? And graphic design at that mm-hmm. phase was was very new nobody knew what you should go into i had like my college my uh, college advisors had no idea what advice to give me my parents had no advice what to give me nobody until i found uh art center and went to the student gallery and it was like boom this is it this is this is the only choice this is the only uh, option i have at being uh satisfied of with where i want to go so with that attitude, I'm taking that into, you know, this this new voyage of mine into VR and AR and really doubling, tripling down on, you know, what I was passionate about as a kid, as a person, even underneath uh, being a concept artist for a video game company. You know, if it goes beyond games, I'm I'm all for it. Absolutely. That's okay. 100%. And learning about this. So I wish I could give you a better answer of how how I'm involved, but you know, it really is seeing what makes people, what gives people and society value through this piece of technology with my, using my experience in, in, you know, these AAA games. So the great thing about that that I can bring in is knowing uh, what a, what a budget looks like, you know, what is the cost of development and then hopefully surrounding myself that with people that are smarter uh, and more vocal about it than I am and listening. 
Have you found that there are any significant roadblocks in going from AAA to indie? Because I can imagine that that's probably difficult. Well, for one, you don't get the luxury of unlimited funding. I'm, I'm, I don't mean unlimited, but like hundreds of millions of dollars, right? Which be which would be awesome. And but you know, the more uh, money you get, the more hands you have, also, and the slower things tend to move. And that in itself was another valuable experience. So one of our goals is to maintain a really small team, a loyal team, and to be able to listen to feedback from you know, all around to make decisions quickly. I think anytime you have more hands on deck, it's just inevitable that things take longer and there's more meetings and more people want to have their say. And, and that takes time and time is money. So with a small team, uh, we're able to move a little quicker, make decisions, but also we don't have that luxury now of a hundred million dollar marketing budget. We kind of got to be more creative. We have to do grassroots. We have to start earlier and build a fan base. Uh, before we even re- release a product. Um, well, now what does it take to build that fan base six months before you release something? Uh, what are they interested in You know, consuming? Your Twitter, your Instagram, your Facebook post. What will keep them engaged? And you know, part of my thinking about that area is tell the human story. You know, underneath being a VR company, we are a company and to have a good company, you have to have good people with good relationships. And that was something that was really hard to implement in a large company. And I was in, not that I, I was never in any managerial position at these large companies, but it was something that I realized um, as a, as a artist, as a developer, as a person, just kind of was soul crushing in a lot of ways. Uh, and I understand, you know, these, these companies have their reasons. Um, but something that I needed for myself was to be able to iterate, to solve a problem, to simplify it, and then to share it with others. And in a large company, a lot of those voices just get ignored or muffled. And um, it, it can be hard to kind of, you know, for a person who's who's itching to improve, to not have that uh, freedom or opportunity. Definitely. Is there a place where people can um, follow you guys? I know that you you all aren't really talking about your projects that y'all are working on at the moment, but I wasn't sure if you've got, you know, your social media channels set up so that people can follow you guys and what you're doing uh, if they're interested. Yeah. Our website is www.vrainiac.com. It's sort of a a splash page right now for our company. And so far showcases just our values, a little bit about the projects we're working on. And we got our Instagram, we got our Facebook, uh, Rainiac and Rainiac Studio. Um, and I'll have links to all of them on uh, cakebites.com uh, in the show notes today. You know, things are, things are, we're kind of trying to get some content going, trying to tell our story, trying to find a voice. Things are kind of sparse at the moment, but I mean, if anyone wants to hear our story, <laughs> we'll, we'll post as much of it as we, as we, as we can legally. And obviously we're not sharing too much, but you know, this is. <laughs> It's something that I'm not going to lie. We, you know, in my in my eye, in my vision, I, w- I want to share the struggle. I want to share the story because I do forget that we we my, me and my partner and anyone here in Los Angeles, we live in a kind of different world than the rest of the world. We are developing content, you know, and and kind of on your reference of Call of Duty, you drop that name anywhere, and they're like, "Whoa, you work on Call of Duty." And, you know, you're, you're signing autographs and, you know, but the reality of it is long hours and 
we forget that there's a perception about being a developer uh, that is almost on the celebrity side of things. I remember, I mean, do you remember like Game Pro Magazine, all these old games from Nintendo? You get the secret cheat code to see the faces of developers. I mean, what a treat. You saw the guys that worked on the game. That was amazing. And I forget that now, you know, me and my colleagues and my uh, classmates, we are those guys. We are game developers. And we forget how, you know, it might look to the outside. Um, you know, we, it's not all glory, but there is there's something to this this experience and lifestyle well, that is unique that yeah. people might want to tune into. Even now, uh single developer games uh or even really small teams people will flock to those those indie titles that people really fall in love with uh personally for me stardew valley is one of my favorite games and that was made by one person concerned ape and i've asked him to be on the show and he politely declined uh because he's working on another Mm -hmm. game by himself (laughs) but um People follow them. You've got uh, the developers of Binding of Isaac, Super Meat Boy. Um, people care about indie studios and, 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 and having the ability to connect with the developers, with the people who are creating the games that they are enjoying, maybe that they even love, really can take a relationship with a game to a whole new level because, you know, a game is a lot more than just a game for most people. Um just like the game is more than just a game for for y'all, the creators. And uh, and I think that it's amazing. Yeah, well, it, it wasn't until recently with, you know, the dawn of, of the internet, Facebook and Reddit, and, you know, having a platform where the developers can have a dialogue with the fans, whether as, you know, happy or angry as they are, you know, whether it's anger or passion, there's strong emotions there about a project that we're working on. And to hear that as a developer and be, or as a consumer, to be able to influence a developer as large as, as Infinity Ward or Activision or Sony or EA, you know, the fact that, that there's a channel for us to listen, whether we do something about it or not, like, oh, we're, we're hearing voices. Oh, yeah. And on the other side of that, I think a lot of the fans are also learning that there are people behind these large companies. There are people that are putting in their you know, 12, 14, whatever, or more hours a day, who 24, who, you know, we have needs like hunger, uh, a family, you know, significant others. And I think, you know, having that, uh, being able to take uh, show that face behind these big labels and these big companies is, is also doing us a favor because now there's a gratitude. There's a, a little bit of respect um, into making these uh large massive like monumental mind-blowing games that take three five years of people's lives and you're chewing through it in what yeah you know hours six ten hours well you know what give or take not including those big rpgs but um it is incredible absolutely and and that's something that i've learned through uh through cake bites so far is i've had the pleasure of chatting with developers um, who worked on arcade cabinets. You know, they were developing games for arcades. Um, I talked to uh, developers for early consoles in the 90s. And and the the most pervasive aspect is that the working conditions are rough. 
<laughs> I mean, you're you have to think about the nature of what they're of what you're doing. You're creating something massive, even when it was in an arcade cabinet or mm-hmm. on in a cartridge. You know, it's it's a massive undertaking for a large or a small group, and you're working incredibly long hours, yeah. um, especially when you're getting down to you know crunch to you know really hit those major milestones. And mm-hmm. I I had no idea until I started talking with um with you mm-hmm. with you know anybody that's been working in games and i have a greater appreciation for the for for mm-hmm. games i think people treat consumable forms of entertainment like movies tv games um like mm-hmm. i feel like they're really unfair about uh yeah. about <laughs> their total opinion of about about a lot of games um and, and as somebody I used I've done a couple game reviews um but I followed game reviewers for a long time and and sometimes it's almost like you have to keep in mind you know the scope of the project that they've done or you know a tiny people would take right. a tiny mechanic uh, an issue with a tiny mechanic and and completely let that color the, the the opinion of the rest of the game when there's so much nuance hopefully if it's a if it's a decent game there's some nuance yeah. to it and I, just, I think it's and, and, and I just want to say thank you <laughs> for for the work that yeah. you've done um because although I'm not a fan personally of Call of Duty I know a lot of people that got great enjoyment from both Ghosts and Infinity Thank War. you. Yeah, it was a large team and you people have to realize that these games are made by hundreds of people. And and going back to my last point about, mm-hmm. you know, dropping the name Call of Duty, you know, I, I didn't want to sound uh, pretentious or anything, and sometimes I forget. But you know, while there's a celebrity kind of aspect <laughs> name to it, it's part of me also wants to. Um, I, I cry sometimes. It's like, oh man, thank you, but it's you know, it's not you know, I'm not high getting high fives, you know, or, or uh, you know, there are there are a lot of developers out there working on these number one like top of the shelf titles that we are scraping by, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough world. It's a tough life. And, you know, I, just, I'm, I would, I would assume I've never been in the military, but in my time and research and, and talking to some of these guys have been in the military, it's probably the same thing. It's like, Oh man, you know, I don't know if I could do one day in your shoes or maybe I could just do only do one day, but how do you guys do this every single day for three, five years? Um, and to have that, uh, respect you know for just game developers it is almost like being in this you know not club but you guys share a really unique experience being a game developer here either in los angeles or anywhere in the world and to have you know journalists or come in and or even fans and like you were saying well why didn't they why didn't they just change this one thing it would be so easy okay if it was maybe it'd be there um but you know we kind of read those and you know take it with a grain of salt you know cry in the corner then you know wipe those tears away and just keep going if you really believed in it uh but there's at least now there's a a bit of a dialogue i feel like platforms like your podcast and all these other blogs are really giving us kind of a voice as well and being able to share that experience and hopefully you know uh continue that respect for future game developers especially these guys with their laptops one guy um there's just so much work involved and and i appreciate uh 
you know, given the opportunity to say these words. Definitely. Thank you, Katie. Oh, absolutely. Is is there anything else that you wanted to mention while you were on my show? Well, I think there's a lot of, you know, people that will be future developers and also future um, consumers of video games and virtual reality. And, you know, it's we're, we're on the brink of, of a really unique period in our human history. And that if you are a developer to uh, find an area that you're passionate about in the development phase and just uh, keep pushing, there's so many new ways to new, do new things that, you know, I don't even know what they are. <laughs> and the more I talk about these conversations or just have these conversations about people in the space, everyone has a different take on it. And it's just, Amazing. And as a VR consumer or a video game consumer, you know, just, you know, be gentle, take a little easy on those reviews, but, you know, be honest as well. We appreciate the honesty and the feedback at any time. So I'm looking forward to, to it. Definitely. And, uh, and like I said, I will have links to, um, I mean, anywhere that you can find, uh, Simon and the, uh, and the Brainiacs. I'm going to go ahead and just call call y'all the Brainiacs. Um, oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully we'll have and, more stuff to talk about in a couple, couple months. Definitely. And I am more than happy to have you back on the show when you can uh, talk to me more about what you guys have going on. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that you could potentially send me some of, uh, All right, so that was my interview with Simon. Uh, like I said earlier in the show, I will have links to Vrainiac Studios, uh, their their website, uh, their social media, so you can follow them and keep up with them, as well as uh, links to Simon's portfolio, so you can take a look at some of the artwork that he's done. Um, yeah, don't forget to... Um, to follow cake bites everywhere on social media uh, subscribe to the show most importantly and leave some reviews if you can even if you just send me an email to tell me what you think of the show if you think that there's anything that i can do better change um if you feel like you may be a good candidate for the show or know somebody who might be a good fit for the show don't hesitate to reach out uh, and tell me give me their phone number i will give them a call or i'll just slide into their dms you know it's whatever it, you know, it works too. So, um, yeah, I guess I'll see you guys next week.